invitation song will be number 125. 125, Do You Know My Jesus? theme this year is one the unity that we have in Christ the unity that we have in God the unity that we have in the Holy Spirit that unity not only just seen in the New Testament but that unity is seen all the way from Genesis to Revelation Paul said but when the fullness of the time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman, made under the law. God, from eternity, as Brother Joe said, had a plan that included the death of his son, Revelation 13, 8. Paul said in Ephesians 3 and verse 11 that this plan was his eternal purpose. And so as we, as we read throughout the pages even of the Old Testament, and prepare us for the New Testament under which we live, we see that oneness, the unity, the promises and the plans that God had made. In our scripture reading this morning, it was read in verse 18 in Hebrews 6, that those who have fled for refuge to our Savior have hope. In the Old Testament, the Bible pictures that unity. It pictures Christ from cover to cover, as it were. He is the Paschal Lamb of the Exodus chapter 12. His church is painted in picture form throughout the tabernacle in the temple in the Old Testament in type and anatype. Particularly the book of Hebrews will talk about the relationship of the Old Testament to the New and how the Old Testament was pictures, the shadows of that which was to come, the good thing, that which is eternal. One of those places that we might not look a lot is in the cities of refuge, found in three places in the Old Testament. But I want us to, if you'll turn with me to Joshua chapter 20, we're going to read these, these verses are fairly short, and it gives an overall view of these cities and what the circumstances were and how they were laid out. But the greater lesson for us is the picture that they paint of Christ and his salvation in his, in his church. Joshua 20 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then the Lord spake to Joshua, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Designate the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. that the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally without premeditation may flee there. And they shall become your refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. 
And they shall take him into the city to give him to, to them and give him a place so that he may dwell among them. Now if the avenger of blood pursues him, then they shall not deliver the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor without premeditation and did not hate him beforehand. He shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the manslayer shall return to his own city and to his own house, to the city from which he fled. So they set apart Kedish in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kirjith Arbor, that is, Hebron in the hill country of Judah, of Judah. Beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the appointed cities for all the sons of Israel, and for the stranger who sojourns among them, that whoever kills a person unintentionally may flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stands before the congregation. If you'll look on the map above here, you'll see six cities. Three on the west side, three on the east side. If you'll notice, these cities are strategically placed so that anyone in the land of Palestine, anyone in Israel who unintentionally kills someone, who did not have hatred or premeditation in the heart, and accidentally kills someone, could flee to that city and tell his case before the elders. And if he were innocent, then he had to remain in that city, and the avenger of blood could not retaliate. Now that's in the Old Testament. We don't have that situation today in the avenger of blood in the sense of in Israel's day the next of kin had the right by God to redeem or to avenge the death of someone who was killed willingly or premeditatedly. God set up the refuge cities in a way and to help Israel understand that if they had an innocent attitude, if they did not do it intentionally, that God's grace would be extended to them in this city. They had to flee there. They had to stay there until the death of the high priest, perhaps because that would give time for the families to calm down and the, and the hatred for the death of that person to be sort of understood, and then they could leave that city. But those six cities are a type of the salvation that we have in Christ. For example... Those who were outside the city were in danger of the avenger of blood. There was not any safety for that person outside the city. He had to make an effort to get to that city 
He had to believe that that city was there. He had to believe that God meant what he said. He had to put forth all his effort with all haste possible to get there and then to obey God and stay there. You and I are in danger of the wicked one. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And there is only one place where there's safety. There's only one place where we are free from that danger. And that is in Christ Jesus. And we, like the avenger or the, the manslayer of the Old Testament, must make haste to get there. And we must put forth every effort we have to stay there. Not only were they in danger, but number two, these cities were for all people. If you'll read the, the, the text in, in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, you'll find that every person who dwelled there, whether it was a Jew, whether it was a stranger in the gate, whether it was a, a proselyte, every person had a right to flee to the city of refuge if there was that need. No one in God's grace in the Old Testament was left out of a place of safety if they needed it. Again, if they made the effort and, and, and obeyed what God said, there was safety. Hebrews writer said in Hebrews 2 and verse 9 that Jesus tasted death for every man. Every human being on this earth is under the authority of Jesus Christ, but also is in a place to accept the grace of God on God's terms. First uh, John 2 and verse 1 beginning, Jesus said, I mean, John said, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye not sin. But if any sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is our, was a propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. We serve a God who wanted to paint a picture in the Old Testament for those and prepare Israel. So when Jesus Christ came, when Jesus Christ established his kingdom, when Jesus Christ came and gave his life on the cross, that the Jews would flock to him because they knew these things for 1,500 years through the law of Moses. But we see that didn't happen. Because they were not humble and submissive to the will of God. Every person who has on this earth has the right, should have the right, put it like that, should have the right and privilege to hear the gospel at least one time in their lifetime. So they would have that opportunity because Jesus died for every man. The road to these cities, were they were plain and they were accessible, as we pointed out, by all. In reading history of this and, and, and things of that nature, you find out that these roads were maintained. These roads were wide enough that to be seen and easily marked so that nobody 
who had a need of the refuge city had any excuse or any reason not to make it to that city. And they were to be maintained. The way to Christ in the New Testament is easy to understand and plain for a person who is looking for that way. It's logical. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11 and verse 6. So we must have faith, and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If I hear the word of God, I need to believe what I hear. It is a work of God, John chapter 6 and verses 28 and 29. It is a work that we do to believe. Look at the evidence, as Brother Randy mentioned in the prayer, about the blooming in the springtime and, and God's creation becoming renovated and, well, not renovated, but, but renewed and refreshed. We must believe that God is. If I believed God is, Paul said in Acts 17, 31, that he, if Jesus has been appointed to be the one to come and judge us. If I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe what God says, I'd be, I'm admitting I believe I'm going to stand in judgment one day and that my life is going to be reviewed by God through his word or against his word through my actions and judge me. If I believe that, I'd want to repent of my sins. I would want to change my life. If I find out I'm living out of harmony with God's will, and I know I'm going to stand in front of the one who died for me, I would change that. That's repentance. And I would be willing to stand on a mountaintop and confess, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I would be willing to allow someone to bury me in baptism where the blood of Christ can be reached, and I'd be translated out of the kingdom of the devil into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. That's just logical. It's easy to understand. It's accessible to everyone. We literally have to have help to miss it. But most of the world misses it. And then number four. One in danger had to remain in the city until the death of the high priest. Trying to logically re reason that out in the Old Testament, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in the Old Testament why he would stay there, unless it was to allow the feelings and the emotions of the families to settle down before the person left. But when I look at it in a spiritual sense and the application to me today... I understand it much more clearly. I must remain faithful to the Lord throughout my whole life because guess what? My high priest is never going to die. He lives forever at the right hand of God. And I'm the one who's going to die unless he comes in judgment first. So I must be faithful while he is high priest. And guess what? He's always going to be that high priest till time is over. That's not the Old, in the Old Testament. They learned they had to stay in the ark, Genesis 6. Rahab learned that her family must stay in the house, Joshua chapter 2. 
In Acts 27, Paul was told, you must remain in the ship if you want to be saved. Those pictures are there for a reason, to tell me I must be faithful my entire life once I become a Christian. If I wander away, God's second law of pardon allows me to repent and pray. God still didn't leave me out there, but but I have the opportunity... And then through these cities, physical death could be averted. And through Christ, spiritual death can be as well. But once again, I want to take a real quick look at those cities. You remember those three cities on the left? On your left, Kedesh, Shechem, and Hebron. Guess what? The Hebrew words point out a picture of the church. It's the sanctuary or the holy place, Kedesh. Shechem means shoulder. We are to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, verse 5. Hebron means association or fellowship, Acts 2, 42. On the other side, Bezer means fortress, inaccessible place. Guess what? God created a place for me that the devil cannot come in. If I stay there faithfully, the devil cannot harm me. But if I leave there, just like in the Old Testament, the avenger of blood could get them, the devil can get me. Ramoth means heights or exalted. Hebrews, I mean, Isaiah 2 and verse 2 Isaiah wrote 750 years before Christ that the mountain of the Lord's house would be established in the top of the mountains and would be exalted above all the hills. And then Golan means circle. Total unity. One. God painted this picture for 4,000 years of Christ's coming. He painted it 1,500 years of unity in the refuge city, of completeness in that refuge city, and he pointed it to the church and he says, you're complete in Christ. All spiritual blessings are in Christ, Ephesians 1 and verse 3. And so we ask a real quick question, a couple of questions here. If it is the case that refuge is available, why why, why, why do people not take advantage of that? Well, Jesus said, some fall victim to the cares of this world. In giving the parable of the soils and explaining the hard soil and the stony soil, then he gets to the thorny soil. Thorns in Palestine would grow, thorn trees would grow over here, but then the roots would spread very far-reaching. It took time for those thorn bushes to get the roots all the way over to their crops. And if the, if the, pellet, if the farmers were not diligent in the so- turning of the soil, then eventually those roots from those thorn bushes would meet at the roots of the plants and choke them out. It took time. Jesus said that those who are like the thorny ground are those who the cares and the pleasures and the riches of this life engulf. It takes a little time for that. We get in a habit of doing things that aren't, that are, we don't put Christ first in everything we do. 
We say, well, it won't hurt to miss this time. It won't hurt to miss that time. It won't hurt to do this. It won't hurt to do that. Well, my kid wants to do this, or my husband wants to do that, or my wife wants to do this. And we get out of the habit of being diligent, and sometimes the cares, which may not even be wrong, engulf our roots in Christ and choke us out. So that we look up one day, I've, I've, I've dealt with a lot of people, and you knock on their door, you sit down at a table with them, and you say, how did you get where you are? How did you get so far away? And they say, preacher, I don't even really remember. One step at a time. That's why some people don't take advantage of the refuge cities. They took advantage of it at one time, but then they allowed the world, not even the bad things of the world necessarily, but just being involved in life too much to put God first. And to teach that to their kids. Number two, some love family more than they love God. You've, come, you've, you've dealt with people, you've sat down at the table with them, you had to ta- at, a, at a desk with them at their, somewhere, and you teach them the gospel and they say, but if I do this, preacher, I'll be condemning my dad. I'll be condemning my grandmother. My grandmother was a great woman. You telling me my grandmother wasn't saved? And so some people walk away from that situation loving mom and dad and grandparents more than they love the Christ who died on the cross for them when they see it plain as day. Jesus said, if you love father and mother more than me, guess what? You're not worthy of me. Number three, some are, de- are deceived by false teachers. It works something like this. We in our, sometimes we in our homes don't instill in our children when they're small and young and impressionable the idea and the truth of the matter that God and Christ and his church come first in everything we do. We don't teach them that sometimes. We don't show by our example. Sometimes we go home. We may grill the elders for their decision. We may grill the preacher for what he preached. We may grill brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so for not doing something. And our children all this time are listening. And they're logging that away. And they say, if that's what the church is about, I don't want no part of that. And they bide their time under the authority of their parents until they hit college. And you wonder why, we wonder sometimes why children, when they leave home, they just seem to disappear. They've been waiting on that opportunity for four or five years. And as soon as they get the the freedom and 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 the authority to do so, they're gone. And you know who usually gets the blame? Those elders, that preacher, Bible class teachers. When most of the time the blame goes to those parents. You're a parent with small children. We have a number of them in this assembly. We have a few more that are on the way. When you bring that child into the world, that's a great thing. I'm sitting here looking at my great-grandson. Love to see him singing with his dad, making racket now because he hears me talking. But you know what's going to happen? If Dean lives to the age of accountability and the Lord doesn't come first, Dean's going to stand in judgment one day for his soul. 
And between now and then, those two people right there are responsible for teaching him. And they will teach him. And when they get out of home and they get into college and they get a hold of a liberal preacher, I mean liberal teacher, and that liberal teacher makes fun of God and makes fun of the church and makes fun of people, you remember that for about the last five years they didn't log anything away on a good note and they get out and they hear this other guy and he sounds so good. He's tickling their ears and making everything in the world sound good and guess what? They're gone. And you can't reach them again. Yes, false teaching is a problem. But if we teach our children in their homes till they're of age to leave home, the statistics say the majority, the vast majority of those children stay faithful. And the vast majority who aren't taught are not faithful. And then the last one. Sometimes people just lose interest and fall away. Paul said in Galatians 6.1, Brethren, when a brother is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. He didn't excuse the brother or sister who was overtaken. But he said, those of us who, those people who are faithful, go and restore. That word restore in the Greek is like a term for setting a bone that's broken. Gently, with care and concern and compassion. But sometimes people just get overtaken. There are some people who just are just bent on leaving. They're, they're bent on living in the world. They're bent on doing the worldly things. And there's not a thing you can do about it. But some people just get overtaken by that. Paul says, go after them. Sometimes we just lose interest and we fall away. I'll remind you one more time of those six cities. There's the refuge that they had. It was in the form of a fortress and a shoulder and a sanctuary and a fellowship. And an exalted place and a circle all encompassing. It was planned, purposed, and purchased by heaven. For those in danger, for all men, that way is marked easily and is accessible for everyone, including us in this auditorium right now. If you're here this morning and you have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the simple, pure, powerful gospel, you need to do that. Why? Because right now, time is on your side of eternity. But in one heartbeat away, eternity could be on the other, you could be on the other side. If that heartbeat was right now, where would we go? What would the Lord say about my life? Because on that day, I can't call on Buddy or David or Gail or Joe or Carrie, Cliff in the past. And I can't call on Wayne or Chan or 
a number of other people in this room. I can't even call on Kathy. I don't know exactly how it's going to go, but I, I know all that in the grave are going to hear his voice and come forth the resurrection, whether good or bad. And I know everybody's going to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ, John 5, 22. I just imagine I hear these words, David Byers Jones. And then it's just me. It's me with the one who died for me. And he says, let's see how you did. How would you do right now? How would that go? If, it, if you're not 100% sure it would go in the right direction, you have an opportunity right now to make sure it goes in the right direction. You're here tonight today in the need of the gospel. Obey, obey the gospel. Maybe you wandered away. The things of this life have taken you away from your first love. Maybe you're not doing things sinfully. But you're just not involved in the church work. You need to be. What would you tell the one who died for you on that day? I was too busy. You think that will work? Well, they didn't have exactly the same program I needed. You think that will work? When you look into those hands with the holes and in the feet, as Thomas did. When Thomas saw the resurrected Christ, he said, my Lord and my God. When John saw him in Revelation 1, he fell at his feet as if he were dead. I have an idea that when you and I see him in judgment, we're going to be willing to fall at our feet. That Paul says in Philippians 2, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. But on that day, it will only be possible for those who have been obedient to the gospel and stayed in the city until their death. If you're subject this morning to his call, he asks you to come. While together we stand and while we sing.